to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Warren Ruffex, Dr. Jackson. I'm Tom Alms. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures down 54. Days of Futures down 196. It was, uh, I'm afraid of this last night, Mr. Weber. Uh, the big down day on uh, Tuesday. And yesterday we absolutely could not get going to the upside at all, so I had a feeling that we might be heading south here this morning. I don't think I, not exactly, I didn't do anything about it. I have a whole bunch of puts or anything, but anyway, I had, had the feeling, and here we are. It doesn't mean we can't turn around. Lou, how are you, buddy? Good morning, sir. I'm uh, doing well. You uh, so you 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 long puts? No, no. I uh, I stay away from stocks. I told you that. You can't talk to me about this stuff. I do. You still have that mouse pad with all the yeah pseudo pornographic stuff on it? Yeah, with all your terms. <laughs> that uh, just shows you. That just shows you a where my mind is, and b my total lack of understanding of of the. Uh, of the investment business, the the double Dutch Irish sandwich, or yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's the the uh, the double split straddle, yeah, like, the but, the butterfly spread. There there will be yeah. a, there are people that will see parts of the Kama Sutra in every sort of figure. You just might be one of those guys. You know? <laughs> I I actually tried to take that. I actually took that mouse pad back to my office when I was working in Chicago and had it on my desk, and and. One of the uh, one of the associates looked at it and could could just could not see the fine print could just see the the boldface stuff and and said is that is that some kind of you know sex guide or something and I, went, <laughs> I said okay this is out of here sex, <laughs> sex guide for the very flexible <laughs> it, but for the readership or listenership chief published. A, in the days of mouse of mice and, and mouse pads, published a promotional tool that purported to us to describe the various investment mechanisms that that they that they specialized in, and and it was terrible. <laughs> it was, it was really it was actually it was very educational. You, it was something you could not display in any office, and that I'm aware of. And this was back in you know the aughts before everybody got really crazy. <laughs> Let the record reflect. Every one of these things was a chart that said, okay, how does a, a straddle perform? How does a covered right perform, a protected put? Well, man, you're going to get us banned by the FCC in about three seconds. Oh, so don't even talk anymore about it. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't think, I'll tell you what, for people who have uh, had this market go down on their face, a protected put was not a, was not a fetish, it was a necessity. Oh, no. No, no, no. I, there's no doubt in my mind that these were legitimate Terms. It just when you read them without context, <laughs> specifically without investment context, it looked like something out of an old copy of Hustler. And I was <laughs> not, you know, I mean, my wake up call came like I said when I had that thing on my desk, and one of the associates looked over and said, "Wow." <laughs> so when, it, when you saw the one like when you saw the one like straddle, you go, "God, I like the straddle," but you were not thinking at all about the option position. 
don't, don't even don't even get in there, man. Every <laughs> single thing you say in regard to that that mouse pad is a double entendre, okay. and I am biting the inside of my cheek to keep from blurting out something horrible. <laughs> God. Well, this is the worst ha- first half of the year since 1970, Lou. So we got that going for us. I, I absolutely believe that, and you know, I, I'm perfectly happy to pin it to pin it on the president. Although I realize that's not fair, completely. But but I do pin the energy stuff on him, and and that's a big part of why we're having such a miserable uh, economic performance. Why? Just out of curiosity, let me let me, let me uh, get this up here because I have just the thing in mind for you, Lou. Um, why, out of curiosity, to, to to intelligent people, which I certainly put you in that category, constantly when they when they feel some way about somebody or something, sort of blend time and. In uh, let me find this thing here. Where the hell is it? Uh, crude oil and natural gas rotary rigs in operation. All right, going back to 1973. Well, there's been like three or four boom and bust cycles in this, maybe ten. So, in, uh, yeah. and, and when you go back here, there's a, there's a spot in 2018 when our man Trump was in office, where we were up to. About eleven hundred, we topped out at thousand seventy-seven. Call it eleven hundred uh, rigs, and somewhere in there, didn't he essentially cut a deal with Saudi Arabia because Saudi and the Russians were were pumping all of allegedly all the oil they could to put our our uh, what do you call the guys the uh, frackers out of business, and oil went down to thirty bucks a barrel and twenty-eight bucks a barrel, and actually the futures traded below zero because of uh, interactive brokers is crazy risk management thing in the futures, and they actually sold stuff below zero, which was crazy. Uh, and he cut some deal and said, we're not going to send you weapons unless you cut your oil production because you're killing us. From that day well, forward... He, he didn't say that to the Russians. No, the, so the, the, the Saudis. Number one. The Saudis. So let, let's, I mean... All right, I mean, but from that I, day, okay, we're not, we don't I, even... I, I, right. here's, here's the difference. And here's why I am happy to pin this on Joe Biden. Because he said he was going to. Trump never said he was I, going to I, declare war on the on the fossil fuel industry. But I mean, Joe I'm, Biden did. Joe Biden said he was going to destroy it. Right, okay. So I'm giving him credit for what he said he was going to do. Right, or just let the record reflect, as you attorneys would say. Uh, by the way, I'm with you on the ridiculous signals that he's giving that industry and why our ramping up is a little slower, or maybe a lot slower than it ought to be. But just while we're on the subject, we went from 1,100 rigs in 2018 our low point was 250 four months after Biden got in office. You can't tell me that we were already down to, when he took office, we were already down to 791 and went down to 255. And every week on the CNBC they were announcing, Sully was saying how many rigs we were down this week. We plummeted down from the, the, from the oil being 30 bucks after this alleged deal he made with Saudi. Uh, we plummeted down to where even if, even if Biden was 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 Mr. Energy, eighty percent of this would still have been there. Now, and I don't agree with anything he's done regarding that the energy area, but the effect of it—if you don't like the guy, the effect of it you think is massive. If you do like the guy, or don't or have no opinion like me, I I, I think that we were we're cranking up thirty thirty five uh, rigs a month since that low point, which is somewhat slower than we did in these past episodes. So it should be 45 instead of 30. 
that I'll, that I'll pin on Biden. But you can't, well, you can't I, pin that. I'll also, I'll also pin on Biden, and I'll pin all of it on Biden. Well, you will. said he was going to do it. But I will also reasonably pin on Biden the refinery impact, which is really what's driving our gas, uh, our gas prices right now. Okay. And what, so, and, and I mean, his, he, he basically told, <clears throat> told everybody with this, I'm going to shut down our, our fossil fuel business. He, Encouraged our energy uh, companies to turn their refineries off. Uh, do we, do we and, con- and convert them? And uh, that's what happened. Convert and them to what? Guess what? <coughs> we don't have refining capacity right, I, anymore. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say that that the one thing that is making a big difference is we are exporting distillates, which we didn't used to do. That's that to me is one of the biggest things. And secondly, we're grinding up from the I'm going to say half Trump. Half just business cycle. You, you go back here to 1998. We were down to five, six hundred rigs, and then three years later we're 1100. Then we're down to 600 again. This is this is how that industry's always worked. When prices uh, are low, prices are comparable right, to, to what they are. But, but my point is, when when stuff was low, nobody's making any money. Every nobody puts any rigs up. Every sends them overseas or does something with them. And all of a sudden, prices go up and they scramble. It's it's been a boom and bust business. You're seeing it is it is, but it hasn't been this extreme. And what you're seeing, frankly, is a boom and bust cycle overlaid with a regulatory environment that actively discouraged investment in this business and has actively uh, promoted higher gas prices because the wizards in the President's Department of Energy believe that it is necessary to force the American public off gasoline. When, when, did, I, when did I ever say I, was, I agreed with their, their program? I absolutely do not agree with no, it. No, 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 I understand. I'm just, I'm just making a point. This, what your boom and bust cycle is correct. We haven't seen gas prices this high on boom and bust cycles. You know, it's in the city of Chicago... It's particularly bad. It's particularly bad now because of the regulatory initiatives undertaken by this administration. Uh, all right, as we're pointing fingers, which I'm sure if it was, if it was a Republican office... Chief, but, Chief all right. I, you need, I think you just need to step back and say, this president promised us exactly what is happening right now. Did he not? Look, I, I know that these guys, that this okay. is their mantra, but... In the city of Chicago, 33% of the price of the pump are taxes. They're the biggest winners on this. Illinois is the only, well, there's seven states that charge sales tax and the other taxes. How, how, how much do you think they're making out on this deal? But that sales tax has always been there. Again, okay. it hasn't been this But it's the bad. multiplier. There's two things here that are, are, are real issues. Well, if, if, for me, just looking at this as trying to be a economist from the outside is, all right, the last time... Oil got to one hundred and ten dollars a barrel. Gas was four bucks, and now it's almost six. All right now, there there is a problem. There's someplace, obviously. Now you look at the Arbab, uh, which is the uh, unleaded gas in New York Harbor, refined unleaded gas, which is the the one we talk about. Uh, it's three ninety five, four bucks. Normally, there's an eighty percent, eighty cent, roughly. I'm not an expert on it. Uh, Mark up from that to your station. Maybe a little more with the taxes in Illinois, but it, it shouldn't be over two bucks, and it is. Now, in the midst of this whole mess in Chicago, in this area, we've got this Chicago blend. 
And we we know that the refinery's been playing games forever. You put the refinery down just when you, when you don't need it. I don't know the answer to, have there, have there been any refineries that have actually shut down? I, I'm going to say probably no. Or maybe if it's one or two, I don't know. I mean, uh, to, to redo, to increase refinery capacity. It's also incorrect to say that there has there, there have been no like new refineries anywhere in like 50 years. Which isn't to say that the ones that we have haven't doubled and tripled capacity because the only place anybody lets anybody do any improvement is one that's already there. Nobody, you couldn't build a new refinery. I don't care if it was uh, Attila Hahn or Solomon was the president. You couldn't build one anywhere. We can't even build a, a, a recycling center here in Chicago because nobody wants it near their place. I mean, this is, you're right, Lou. There's all kinds of weird crap going on that's causing every conceivable industry, not just oil in this country, to not react in a way that normally we react. That's and why. So I would say that this is a classic example of a regulatory state response in which the regulators have a specific direction that they want things to go and, and public welfare, benefit, market forces, whatever, be damned. And that's what's playing out. Uh, right I'm going to say that there's a guy who comes on my show a real lot. And uh, when, he, when he doesn't have his <laughs> his uh, anti-dem mantra on, is a really bright guy. You look at this this guy, Lou Michaels. You look at your uh, this thing with the infant formula. You have, you have been the person who has described that what is going on there? Absolutely to a T. There's four companies. Why? There's only four companies. It's infant formula. It's not steel. There's there's four companies that, because of the 89 law, 50, over 50% of the stuff is bought by government. You were the one that says, we have a fascist system, three or four companies in every industry with their nose up the ass of government. You are absolutely correct. That's that's the problem. And it's, and it's been going from every conceivable administration and, going back. And, and I okay, and so so taking that as a given, that's our that's our baseline. When you have a government that says, I'm going to shut this down and and we're going to take steps to do that, you then see that the response, the, the artificial market response generated by that regulatory state, you see the market response occur. And that market response was to say we're getting out of the gas business, the fossil fuel business, and moving into renewables. And and I, I'm not making this up. I mean, according to I'm not, not I'm not out there inspecting refinery sites. I'm just telling you what's in the what I've read in the in the press from what I consider to be reasonably reliable sources that I read across a fairly wide spectrum of commentary. So I, I try not to get too hooked on to National Review or, you know, some other conservative site, just like I don't try to get too hooked on the New York Times or the Post. But reading across those sites, I, I understand that refining capacity dropped dramatically in response to the president, the president's call that he was going to shut down the fossil fuel industry and his cancellation of the key line of the key, key line God, my brain is just gone. The key line pipeline, the Keystone pipeline. You tell I'm thinking about dessert. Um, <laughs> well, the key, the, that pipeline was a it had nothing to do with production. It has to do with uh, 
with with I understand with that tone. But this is this is all the messages that that you know. This is a again in a in an industry that is totally regulated by the government. These businesses respond to what the government does, and they're trying to get ahead of the of the regulatory curve. And that's that's what triggered this drop in production, drop in capacity. Our refineries are running now hotter than they have, I think, in like twenty years at a capacity, and yet we still can't make a dent in this in this gas issue. Is uh, uh, fuel issue? What makes you, what makes you think they're not and exporting the, it, Lou? Pardon me. What makes you think they're not exporting some of it? Which uh, we didn't used to I, be able I'm to do. Just, I'm just saying. Well, why weren't we exporting it before? Uh, the, we used to not be able. To, when, when could we not export oil? Was I mean, that we've, been expo- we've been exporting. We've been exporting since certainly since the Trump people came right. into office. Okay, but it and, and so so all things being equal, all things being equal, this looks like th- this move by the Biden people, who who I, honestly every regulatory thing they touch. Get screwed I, up. I'm, I'm with you. They don't. They don't have the expertise to understand the ripple effects of what they're doing. Right, the, the only they thing say we're gonna. They say we're gonna. We're gonna. We're, we're with Germany, shutting down its its power plants and going to renewables and making itself absolutely dependent on Russian gas. You know, we're with that. So that well, when Russian gas gets turned off, uh, you know, and this goes back to that point I made last week about soft power, chief. Our soft power was, in many ways, tied to our energy production. Turning all that off has this ripple effect through through our economy, and 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 literally nobody in that administration understands or wants to understand the implications, the long term implications of of us saying the largest economy in the world is going to stop using oil and petroleum products. Well, they're out of their mind. We know, we know that. But, but, but the point, Lou, is I'm saying is that there's stuff going on here that's been going on for, like, a real long time. And uh, I, I and, agree. And, and, and I agree. But these, I think before we pin it, first of all, I, I know <laughs> that there is blame by the Biden administration. You're, 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 not, you're, not, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I think these guys are clueless. Chief, but, uh, Chief all I'm saying is, Let's give them credit for what they said they were going to do. Okay, but every spot, why can't you give the, because I know we're going to talk second half hour about the airline issue, why can't you, before we even do this, why can't we, if this was a normal world, and, if, you know, I mean, I go I go with these kind of problems that I don't know. I don't by, know the, what, by the way, this is a much safer discussion than what we started the program with, with yes. your stupid mouse pad. Uh, you love the, I'm going to ship you about ten of them. The, uh, <laughs> the, well, I can use them now. I work from home. I can put them all over the house. Oh God! So the, uh, well, I won't go there. But the the uh, uh, there'll be coasters for my guests at oh, a cocktail God. party. I'll be looking at that thing going, "What? What is this?" Oh God! So, <laughs> but I mean, I, what I, I would really like, Lou, honestly, all this stuff's happening. I don't know the answers, and, I, and I'm sort of when I when I listen to TV. And listen to all these people. Supposedly, they know less than I do on a lot of this stuff. I want to know, okay, why exactly? Just like I want to know at the airlines how we paid these people fifty-four billion dollars to keep people working, and here it is now they don't have any employees. I want to know during the COVID, where obviously your your demand certainly for jet fuel and gasoline and everything went way down. 
what did they do? Did they did they take money and lay people off? Did they did they close refineries because they they, they were we paid them to keep people there to keep them open, and they closed them anyway? Did it, they don't have any? Now I, I want to know what the story. The point that was the point of the CARES Act. Yeah, and, but, and yeah. I'm I'm getting. I'm getting a little more expert on the CARES Act because it factors into a lawsuit that I'm about to file. Well, what I'm saying is, is are all, is it the same problem ever? I know that if, if you and I, and I talk about this you know, damn near every day, the American way, the, the thing that makes us so different and so much better than virtually anybody else, well, I'm going to say anybody else, is if you see a need, okay, in this country, all of a sudden there's, because of COVID, there's not enough screws for a bridge or pick something. You and I look at that and we go, "Hey, we we can produce that size screw in two weeks." You know, let's let's you know let's get the machine. Let's do it. We we can go and we can get money and and, and if it's a decent idea and we can do stuff and presto, there it is. Nobody nobody there has there doesn't have to be a, a federal commission. There doesn't have to be a and it, that's that's what makes us sets us apart and what makes our economy. I mean, people even forget the nuts and bolts of our economy. A free economy means. People, without even having to be told, fill the need and make money because they see there's a profit opportunity there. We have totally screwed that up from from generation after generation. Right now, Trump caused all kinds of problems. Not that it was a bad idea. I, I happen to agree with him, by the way. And and screwing with the Chinese. I mean, I get that. The tariffs, I get that. I mean, Carl's all for you need tariffs to to match up the part that they're polluting and you don't let your people do it. And they have slave labor and we don't. So so you got to at least match it up so you. Everybody's going to run over there and do that because you can pollute. Having said that, now all of a sudden we have these supply chain problems. Now, if you and I have a, have a factory going up because we know that we're, we need to produce this stuff near here now, now this administration is saying maybe we should, we should go back to no tariffs. So the day we open the damn place, we're going to let the Chinese goods in again with, with slave labor and God knows what else? I mean, you, you can't, the decision making. Well, it gets even, it gets even better than that. Let's say we have a we have a shortage of of vehicles that can transport shipping containers from the ports in L.A. and get them out of L.A. So you and I see that need. Okay, let's get a fleet of trucks. We will purchase the trucks. We'll get them ready to go. Except we can't bring them into California. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. California has imposed a vehicle uh, profile restriction. That says we're not going to allow these kinds of trucks in there. So, so just just to make your point, we have this symbiotic relationship between certain trucking companies who want to maintain their business stranglehold on that. Port. Oh, without a doubt. And the fact and the fact that they can't carry everything out of there doesn't matter. No, no. Well, when you talk about uh, California wanting to turn off their nukes and their coal plants, now granted. I, the idea that when you have renewables, the more you can use renewables instead of coal, hey, no, nobody can be against that. It doesn't I, mean I am, I am, I have said many times on this program, I am all in favor of getting us off fossil fuel. Well, you can't, doesn't mean you turn the thing, that you, you, you tear the thing down. You use it. That's exactly right. You have to be able to come in and say, all right, we want to reduce our fossil fuel input. We want to reduce our carbon impact. I, I think that's, I think that's BS. In terms of, of impact on the on the climate, but but I understand we want to do that from a pollution perspective. So we will we will start that down. But we cannot willy nilly come in and say, okay, as of tomorrow, we are turning the spigot off 
on on gas and and oil production and going to force people to all plug their cars in overnight the impact of electric vehicles in in California alone is causing rolling blackouts because well, they okay. cannot support uh, the power surge needed to charge those things overnight the solution to that Lou is if if California is going to go off on their own and do this thing you say do whatever you want but you're no longer plugged into the grid. You're not going to steal Nevada or Arizona power when you need it. I, I mean, I think there's something. I think there's something to that. Colorado is is getting ready to turn off, you know, the water, and that a lot of that is hydropower. And and once that hydropower production drops, then then we are going to be looking at real. Hardship. I mean, you're going to be looking at third world status for a lot of people in California who, whose electric, electric world over there is not going to run. Well, when it comes down to a lot of it is elections, and I'm going to, without, you know, we had uh, Karen, uh, Karen Reeves on a couple times here. And I, you know, doesn't mean as I like somebody, they should be elected, right? Uh, but she had a pretty serious history behind her of stuff she'd done, accomplishments. Super nice lady. Looked to me like she could talk to anybody. Fearless would go into a, a place with all Republicans with no problem. And uh, so at the last minute, um, Jesse Jackson's kid is running out of this 17-person field. The last two weeks, this big billionaire crypto guy drops like a million or two dollars worth of ads on Jackson's kid. And the guy, to me, has, I don't, I haven't read his resume, so I shouldn't say all that much. It looks to me like he hasn't done much of anything. And all of a sudden, the guy wins. Now, what, what, what's he going to do for us? And, and, why, and now this crypto guy is from like Washington. What, I mean, what, what did businesses he have in this election? And what did Jesse have to promise this guy for his million bucks? I mean, I mean, I, well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just note that, you know, just Jesse's legacy of fathering politicians is not exactly great. No, well, my point is, but in a 17 person race, when you're having a, I'm thinking, I think the turnout, Lou, maybe 20%, 25, I'll, 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 you know, I'll get those numbers later in the week, but, uh, the turnout, it doesn't take much to flip 5,000 votes. Oh man, it's Jesse's kid. Look at this. He's done this and that. I mean, somebody who, who can put ads on versus the other 16 that can't, it's a big deal. And the money didn't come from anywhere near that district. I'm not saying the guy's going to do a bad job. He may do a good job. The guy might be the next Solomon. I don't know. But I'm just saying, I mean, what what, what business did that guy have doing that in that district that he's probably never even been in his whole life? If you have if you have an electorate that is basically uninformed or or is not, is, is, is represented by morons who can't get their message out, then then you're susceptible to this kind of stuff. Well, yeah. the, the first I, I mean, I mean, why does why does so the, the 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 issue of why Chicago residents keep returning people who are manifestly have proved themselves manifestly incapable or unwilling of dealing with the crime issue? Why do they keep returning those people to office? Why does Kim Fox? Why did Kim Fox get elected? Um, did, did anybody was there anybody was there anybody out there who thought you know what we don't have. We don't have, we we don't have enough criminals back on the streets after they're being arrested. Was there anybody that thought that was a good idea? 
Louis, it's Apparently way, it's the way, of Chicago did. It's way worse now. But the, the, the traffic, I don't know if it's Kim Fox or if it's the police. You never see anybody. Some of the traffic antics that I see. Saw another one last night, Matty, right at Elston at uh, North if Avenue. If you're a cop, if you're a cop and you're out there patrolling the beat and you know that if you risk your life to put, pick up some perp and throw him in jail and you know that the minute you do that, that guy's going to be back out on the street five minutes later with zero bail. You are not motivated okay. to make those arrests except I, I, in I, the most egregious I, of circumstances. I understand that, but if that's the attitude, then stay home, don't get paid, is my only point. I don't, I don't want to be a cop right now, just what you just said. But, but at least I'm not drawing a check. I mean, in, in, any, in any event, I, I mean, I think that's the Ferguson effect compounded by the impact of prosecutors who, who simply tell the police, I don't care that you arrested the guy. I don't care that he's guilty. We're not putting him in jail. I, I get he all that. Back well, out the, the, people, the people who are garbage men don't want to be garbage men. They do it because they, they're making a living for them and their family. Right now, you don't want to be... It doesn't mean you watch somebody go through a stop sign at 50 miles an hour and you look the other way. If it does, stay home. I, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, if, if the reaction to that... It's the same. You see this all over the place. It's not just Chicago, San Francisco, Philly, Baltimore, Boston, oh. New York, where where you have district attorneys or states attorneys who are saying we're not going to prosecute these crimes. The police say, well, if it's not, it doesn't matter to you. Then it's not really. I, I, matter I, under, to me. I understand all that. Okay, we got to go to break here, right? Uh, SP futures down fifty five. Nasdaq futures down one ninety four. Be right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401- 8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. CognosHR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. 
Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Mr. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures down 55. NSA Futures down 195. So not a good day here. We have Dow Futures down 366. Individual stocks in the Dow. Uh, Microsoft down 471. Home Depot down 560. Uh, Home Depot and Lowe's have really been affected by that consumer conference number the other day. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, there isn't a, there isn't a green stock in the Dow here this morning, uh, that, at least in the pre-market. Over in Europe, we've got, um, Machine up here. DAX down 363, 2.8%. Ouch on that. Uh, FTSE down 139, 1.9. Gek around down 172, 2.9. So, uh, recession concerns persist. Germany's, Uni- Germany's Uniper, what's Uniper? Lure, man, I don't know what that is. Down 14%. Must be somebody important. For Asia, we've got Nikkei down 411. It's 1.5%. Um, we've got, for some reason, Shanghai is up 37, 1.1. Hang Seng, however, down 137.6. Uh, yesterday, yesterday was an inside day. Dow up 82. S&P down 2. NASDAQ down 3. So we had a big down day on Tuesday. Those remember during the show, we were up. Looking like we were going to come back from last week's bad couple days. And we turned during the day and finished on our low. And that looked bad. Yesterday, when we couldn't come off that at all, I had a feeling today might not be so hot. And then it isn't. Uh, Ten-year, down 5 basis points, 304. Uh, we're almost back to 3%. Uh, Bund minus 10 basis points, 1.40. As I think the Fed is pouring money in this month. They don't want this market going down before the election, despite what they say. Uh, Japan, 0.23, that's unchanged. We've got oil down 53 cents, 109.25. Brent down 63, 115.63. Natural gas down 8 cents, 6.41. Arbob, that's my point, down 12 cents, 3.69. No way that somebody should be paying 5.87 for gas. Uh, and Lou might be right as to what the problem is, but there is a problem someplace. Gold down 630, 1811. Nothing, nothing wants to go up here. Silver down 32 cents, 2041. Copper down 5 cents, 372. And Bitcoin, well here's a problem. Bitcoin's 19,055. So whatever the warnings are, um, for, for the, the people that have, uh, have got all kinds of, uh, margin on this stuff from somewhere, 20,000 is a number, so we're, we're having trouble here. Maybe what do you have for us, traffic weather sports? 38 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have a couple of issues on the Stevenson, both sides of the Stevenson, actually. We'll start on the northbound side. If you're heading inbound, you'll run into a crash right on the exit ramp to get onto I-355, which is the Veterans Memorial Tollway, and it's backed up to Weber Road, which is exit 263 uh, because of that crash. So some congestion as you're heading northbound on the Stevenson uh, just before I-355. And then not too far from there on the uh, outbound side at Lamont Road, there's a crash blocking the left lane that has the outbound Stevenson backed up all the way to uh, Route 83, which is Kingery Road. So a couple of issues in the southwest suburbs on I-55 that has that jammed up on both sides. We also have an issue on I-80 eastbound side at Richards Street, which is right near Joliet. There's a disabled vehicle blocking the right lane that's causing a backup on the eastbound I-80. No issues on the Ryan I-57 or the Bishop Ford. We're all quiet on the Eisenhower so far. Traffic building on the Kennedy, but no accidents to report. Same for the Edens. Lakeshore Drive looking good in both directions. Weather today, lots of sunshine uh, and hot temperatures. Uh, will be partly cloudy with a high of 92. Could be even warmer than that inland, though. 
it could get into the mid to upper 90s uh, further from the lake. But lakeside will be right around 90 or early or low 90s for our high. Right now it's clear and 74 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy skies with a high of 104 today. Right now it's clear and 88. In sports, the Cubs blew out the Reds last night at Wrigley. 8-3 was the final. White Sox lost to the Angels. 4-1, Otani struck out 11 in his start last night. Diamondbacks were shut out by the Padres, 4-0. So uh, just to make things even, Lou, I saw two amazing traffic episodes. Oh, and the, uh, the Stanley Cup parade here in Denver uh, oh, yeah. is going to go today. Oh, nice. Yeah. Did you uh, did you catch uh, avalanche fever, Lou? Uh, I'm sorry. Hockey here is not like hockey in Chicago, and and uh, as as big a deal as the you know the Blackhawks are in Chicago, the Avalanche here they have a they have a, a nice solid fan base, but it's it's not like Chicago. Yeah, you know, it, it, Denver is not Denver is not the sports town that Chicago is. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always said that uh, if you are a warm weather city or a city like Denver that has the mountains, um, you can't be a, a sports town. It just you just can't. There's other there's other stuff going on that people are are doing. Uh, whereas if you're yeah. in if you're in the north, if you're in Boston, if you're in Chicago, if you're in Philadelphia, sports is like life. It's crazy. So so what drives the Denver sports scene is the Broncos, and that's because. That franchise has been here for a while, and and it literally was the only game in town for until you know until the nineties or so. Yeah, the Rockies and came in. They, I think ninety ninety three, right. ninety four, something like that. Yep. And the Nuggets. And so, I don't. The Nuggets. Were nuggets been, the Nuggets yeah. have been around a while. Yeah, they've been around. Before, they've been before. around a while, but they were they were a minor. You know, they were a minor distraction. Yeah, and, and basketball. Basketball has even less of a presence here than than any other major major sport uh, for for whatever demographic reasons or whatever. But, but, the, but the, Denver, Broncos, the Broncos drive the sports talk in this town, and there are there are really no other competing narratives that have have arisen on this. I think I think you're going to have to get um, a, a much larger population here that's not out. Walking all over the place, or hiking trails, or, or going out to the mountains for the weekend, I think you're going to have to have a, a, a larger population base that's not involved in that kind of thing to get more support for this. Well, Lou, your so your college hockey, segment here is your your uh, especially going back a few years, your college hockey base is way bigger than it is here in Chicago. I mean, the University of Denver was a one of the top ten teams in the country when I was in college, or maybe a top two or three. I mean, Colorado's correct. always that's, at a team. That's correct. Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, I mean, the um, what, what's hilarious here is how is how big college hockey is. So you had Denver, you had Colorado College down in Colorado Springs, a a small liberal arts school that produced huge hockey programs. The Air Force Academy had had a hockey program that has played in the Frozen Four, uh, you know, multiple times in the last twenty years. Um, so, so yeah, the, the the college and local hockey is big here. But again, you know, I came from Minnesota; it's nothing like it is is there. So, I, I just the long-winded answer to, Matt, to Maddie's question: 
I was aware that the Avalanche was doing well. I watched the highlights. They're a good. They had a they had a great season, and they're a they're a, a very good hockey team. But um, I, I wasn't. I wasn't well, the team they, all over myself. The team they beat was is spectacular. Tampa Bay. They won two years in a row, and I watched them mop up everybody in the Eastern Division. I didn't think they could be beat. They got the first two games. They got spanked, but they weren't they didn't belong on the same ice as the Avalanche. Yeah, well, the, the the big difference, I think one of the big differences was the penalty killing that uh, that the Avs were able to, to perform throughout the throughout the series. The other thing that, that I sort of drives this from a business perspective that I'm interested in is the fact that it's been, what, 2011 was the last time a Canadian team was in the Stanley Cup Finals? Well, it's been a long time. Something like that. It, it, and still Toronto. Canada and hot. I'm still saying Toronto, a ticket to Toronto is the hardest, hardest, uh, ticket to get damn near in the hemisphere. Even though I'm they sure lose all the time. That's true. But, but the, for the Canadians, you know, the idea that their hockey, their, their, their national, what they consider to be their national sport, it's actually lacrosse, but what they consider to be their national sport can't, you know, it can't maintain itself within their markets. And they've, they've had to, they've had to sort of, Understand that as hockey has has expanded in terms of its economics, the the influence has flowed south of you know south of the border to the to the U.S. and uh, especially with the with the importation of you know Russian and European players. Well, when I was in high school, I think Brother Rice might have been the only place that had a team, and I don't know when those guys practiced at like three in the morning. Some got forsaken place. Nobody had a rank. I mean, to this day, nobody's got a rank that I know of. <clears throat> yeah, I think most schools now have a team. But Toronto, I mean, remember when Bobby Hall and those guys were playing? I was a huge hockey fan. Man, we played Montreal. It was like you went up there. You, it was like it was like a cathedral. Their their ice. And they, they, I grew up. I grew up in Winnipeg. I think I told you that. And every Saturday night, it's hockey night in Canada. That was the that was the functional equivalent of Monday Night Football back in the seventies when the you know, Monday Night was the only game in town and 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 everybody tuned in to to watch that and and I I distinctly remember watching Ken Dryden and the rest of those guys out there I remember the discussions about whether Gary Cheevers was a wimp because he wore a mask as a goalie. Well, I remember Ken. <laughs> Ken was, most of the guys playing goalie were not even wearing masks. Well, Ken Dryden, uh, to this day, I think probably had the quickest left hand. He was like Mark Grace. I mean, I don't I've never saw a guy with as quick of a, of a catching hand of the puck as him. Fantastic, fantastic player. But anyway, I, you know, from a, from a cultural perspective, hockey was was absolute king in Canada. It's changing a little bit now with um, with soccer. And with basketball, Canada's produced some fantastic junior uh, league and world league basketball talent. Uh, and swimming, I don't know if you looked at the world championships where the Canadians had uh, had a number of, of swimmers and teams in the in the finals of the world championships. So I, I don't know if, if the enthusiasm for hockey is diffused a little bit. I would suspect in places like Montreal and Toronto, uh, it certainly hasn't. Lou. Um before we get into the uh, <clears throat> the airline stuff, have you, have you listened to any of the uh, last few shows when uh, Hal's been on? I'm sorry, I have not had time this week. Um, he, I try to catch, I try to catch at least a couple of shows a week, 
but uh, I, I'm involved in about six lawsuits right now. Um, what are they suing you for? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm, I'm actually just, just sort <laughs> of promoting them. Um, he uh, brought something up economically, and I don't want to go into it too heavy a whittle. He's on next week again, but he brought up something about this. Uh, I mean, and you know, I, I obviously I've been talking forever, way too long about the idea of this interest rates and inflation and what the Fed's been doing and how. But Hal is taking to a whole new level. I'm going to try and ask him or, or some of your buddies at the Fed, maybe they know, or Russell. Somebody has to have done, because somewhere in the world it has to have happened, somebody has to have done a, a study on when you have negative interest rates, negative real rates for so long, what it does to society. Because Hal's, he's really <clears throat> pushing this to where it, it causes an amazing, over a long period of time, the people that can borrow at negative interest rates, essentially just drive the price of assets up to where a number where they should never be. And then you lose all track of, when I was having an adult beverage with some people the other night, and I said, you know, these guys that paid $5 billion for the Broncos, was it something like that? And I said, you know, they go, what's the difference? They're going to sell it in 10 years for $8, trillion, $8 billion. And I said, yeah, but you know, at some point... If you had Actually, any kind, they won't. Well, but if you had any kind of an interest rate, even an implied rate of say seven percent, which is what the risk should be for somebody buying a team. I mean, we're not talking about a, a T bill. Um, the, the, you know, the check you'd have to write every year is three hundred fifty million dollars before you even started. Everybody goes, well, that doesn't make any difference. It'll, they've never gone down in price. And, you know, it has a theory that, that, that but these guys. So, so let me let me just correct this. These guys, for the most part are not buying it using loans. I, I get that part. But, but see, now, what, you, what you just said, Lou, you would not have said in 1980 because there's an implied interest to even free money, which people have totally forgot about. So, in other words, if, if you paid $5, five billion for a team and the interest rates were, quote, normal, where you could get you know 5% on a 10-year T-bill, it's costing you $250 million dollars even if you choose to do to do what you just did, you know what I'm saying? It, it's costing you that that yeah. whole that whole that whole mentality, the whole way of thinking is gone. And then also that's because by, by the nat- the, the uh, every year you're going to inflate stuff. So if you can borrow at negative eight percent interest, really, which what you can now, if you're big enough, you're going to drive an eight percent inflation rate every year. And, and you're, you're going to drive the inflation rate. You're going to drive the asset prices to where you're going to make money. Not just you personally, but anybody in that, anybody who's able to do that. It's a fascinating theory. And I, I, don't, I don't know where it's wrong. I don't think it is. I, I will say that it, it, ex, it would explain what things like, for example, what we're seeing in, in Denver uh, and what has already happened in places like San Francisco and certain parts of L.A. and certain parts of Chicago where it's impossible to get a house. And that, uh, just a, 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 a person, an individual, coming into a market like that, unless they are insanely wealthy, cannot get a house, cannot buy sort of basic life necessities because the prices are so high. And so in Denver, as this market rolls through, and it's already happened in San Francisco, the only people who can who can afford to buy homes are the super elite, who who can who can 
leverage the financing for a, a two million or three million dollar three bedroom home, or investment companies, and that's one of the reasons you see places like BlackRock buying up all these homes. Well, but his point goes a little further, and then we'll get off this subject. But <clears throat> what he's saying is, even if you can buy a place for a million bucks, even if you don't have the million bucks, if somebody's willing to lend it to you at three percent when the inflation's ten, you're going to make out like a bandit. Because it's going to drive the place to be $2 million 10 years from now, and you're going to make money. Because uh, correct. Of, because of the negative part of the interest. You're, every year you're gaining 7%. Because your inflation's 10 and, and your loan's 3. But you have to be in a specific economic position to take care of it, yes, to be able to take advantage of it. And you have to make sure that your timing is perfect and the Fed doesn't change policy in the meantime. That's, That's a problem. exactly right. All right, what about... We do with the airlines. I was talking a little bit yesterday that a lot of what's happening, and I sent around that article yesterday. Uh, um, I don't know if Mandy wants to tweet it out, but it's about the, the airlines. It's a Washington Post article and said they basically have gotten fifty-four billion dollars, right. and a lot of it has to do with. I mean, I don't know, who, you know, the politics of it, but it seems like it's the one article I read where a lot of the numbers were in there. And, and the question is, what what did was, did you, especially did you like the part about this is for those of the listeners. Uh, I don't know if I, in the last, what was the second one, Lou? The, uh, in the last 10 years, where the airlines have had the most profitable era ever before COVID, 80%, 85% of all the cash flow went to buy a stock back, not to buy any planes or anything like that? How, how, well, how do, uh, how, I, how do we not? But, but I saw that number, but I don't, I don't know if the, um, well, well, two things. Number one. It did go to buy, it did go to buy stock back as they solidified their economic position. The pilot shortage has been on the radar of the airline industry for at least eight years. They, they've known demographically they are not getting enough people coming into their training pipeline or coming out of the military to be able to supply the, uh, demand that they're going to have for routes and for aircraft. And just expand, and the way they responded to COVID just exposed all, all of that. Um, bottom line is, is this. At some point, we're going to start automating aviation. And we're going to start automating these, the flying for this so that we don't need, uh, fully qualified pilots to, to be in the aircraft. That's going to happen eventually, um, and and so and so some of the some of the freight shippers are, are counting on that. The second thing that's that's happening is that the they're they're going to try to. I think you're going to see a move to reduce the number of bodies in the cockpit. So how many? Uh, None again, in maybe, response to aviation. Maybe we can put a half a person in there. What do you think? Well, I mean that's that's the discussion you and I had last week about imager. Uh, integer analysis, right? But what, um, but the bottom line but, is but that I mean, they, but, but the but the bottom line is they took the money. This is this is this actually relates to one of the cases I'm involved in. They took the money, and and the deal was with with at least one of the airlines that I'm unfamiliar. The deal was you can't start laying off people permanently, firing people until um, either. I believe it was September 30th, 2021, 
or until the money runs out, whichever is later. So this particular airline and a number of others started making noise about firing people who weren't vaccinated uh, after September after September 30. They went right after the deadline, and then they said, okay, we're going to start firing people now. And one of the things that the union failed to do, ALPA, the Airline Pilots Association, the union failed to go back to the airlines and say, what's the status of this CARES money? How much of it do you have left? Do you have any left? Because if you've got any left, you can't be firing these people. And, and I, there's never been, there's never been, by the unions, there's never been an, a demand for an accounting, which I think they are perfectly entitled to do. I think we need one countrywide, There's never been a Luke. demand for an accounting on, on where that money went. But the bottom line numbers are they got $54 billion that the population thinks that they got to keep people ready to go when the COVID got over with. At the end of the day, they're short 42,000 employees. Isn't that the number? They did not They did not use it to keep people ready to go. They used it to put people on furlough to maintain operations, but they did not use it to keep people current in their airplanes. Well, you and I would have thought that that was why we gave them the dough. We gave them the dough to prevent them from firing, from firing or shutting down their operation to the extent that it would have been very difficult for them to restart quickly. Well, what and, and even with the money, they have not. And, and I mean, I got I've got clients right now, Chief, that are going to be walking picket lines at Delta in front of Delta facilities in Salt Lake City and Atlanta and and uh, D.C. and a few other cities. Dallas, because because of the airline's inability to to either unwillingness to listen to their pilot force, who were telling them you cannot go back to a full schedule, given and I explained this last week, given the the disconnect that we have between first officers who are right seat pilots and captains who are left seat pilots, we don't have enough of either one. There's a huge imbalance. And so we've got to, we've got, we have to have time to adjust that to get people in the pipeline, train back up again. You can't go back to a full schedule. And the airline apparently said, we can make it up with pilot overtime. And they uh, can't. They can't. And that's that's why you're seeing. I mean, Delta just what did Delta just issue for uh, for uh, uh, the Fourth of July weekend? Something like an unlimited uh, uh, ticket swap capability where you can you can change flights cancel flights move flights around you change your reservations with no penalties for the entire fourth of july weekend because they understand that their scheduling system is not going to keep up with flight cancellations weather delays and pilot shortages well it's, it's so bad Lou, that the people in there know it's happening <laughs> a young lady downstairs uh, she tends bar part-time she's a stewardess and flight attendant showing my flight age. attendant yeah uh and uh, and one of one of the major ones you might have just mentioned it, and I said, "What do you what are you doing, bartending? Why aren't you out flight attending?" And she goes, "Oh no, I, I called in." And I go, "Why?" She goes, "Because I didn't think we had a crew back, and I wasn't going to spend my weekend in Carolina." <laughs> okay, she goes, "I didn't I didn't think they were going to get me back." There's yeah, no- well, and and of course, the the problem with with the flight attendants, and and this goes to the pilots too, is when they're not when they're not flying, they're not getting paid. They're not. They're not getting paid until the door in the airplane shut. Well, what happens if they get? 
if if they land, if they're supposed to go to Carolina in the morning and back in Chicago in the afternoon, and they're stuck in Carolina for two days, what happens? Is it, do they get paid there? Do they get their hotel rooms? Or they, they, they get their hotel room. They get their hotel room covered, but they're not being paid, or they're being paid on some some ridiculously low rate. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it's it's it is what you're seeing is is a is a confluence of their union mandated work rules which the airline has has agreed to and agreed to accommodate overlaying this chronic shortage of of people and and the chronic shortage the chronic shortage of flight attendants they can they can make up for in a much more expeditious way than they can make up a chronic shortage of air crew flight you know pilots well, we and, so, and so this delay, this lag, a responsible business would have said to the to the public, we cannot fly our full schedule. Here are the airplanes we've got. Here are the flights we can accommodate. Fill them up, and after that, there ain't no more. Well, Lou, after but, but the opportunity to make revenue is simply too overwhelming. The, the, after nine eleven, Lou. The idea that these guys have been in business for sixty years and couldn't couldn't make it a month without going out of business. They didn't have any any cash stored up. Everything's leased. Everything was everything was paid out to, to management and whatever. Here we are, how many years later, and it's happened again. And after their best decade ever, they Lou. I think if you and I were on the board there, we would say, look, while I'm here, at least once once a year, let's show up with, with a check and actually buy a plane instead of buying our our stock back. Everything doesn't have to be leased. We don't have to be leveled to the net. What do they do? They, they they hold us down. They waterboard us. They hand us a bunch of stock options, and we never and we never say a word again. The rest of the time we're on the board. I mean, they can't. I mean, I, I mean, hindsight hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I, my my airlines run on a relatively narrow profit margin. That's why anyway, it can't be leveraged. Right, that, but the, a narrow profit margin and maximum leverage do not work. Uh, I I agree. It's a prescription for disaster, and yet. That is the economic model again. Yeah, every time regulated industry, but every time it costs the you, economic model that drives this. But every time it happens, it costs you and I money. Do you think we, at some oh, point it, we it, would say stop? It costs us more than money. It takes years off our lives as we're sitting yeah. in a terminal watching the flight cancellation board. I, I think we need to go into every one of these boards and say you're never going to be on a board again. Place all the management and say don't ever buy any stock there. If you're flush, you pay a dividend. You don't. I, I would like a. I would like a simple accounting for the CARES Act money. That would. That would be a start. Uh, everywhere, not just there. Lou, have a good weekend, buddy. SP futures down fifty five. Does, does not look like a good day. Uh, Nasdaq futures down one ninety seven. Maybe we'll come back up. We, we, maybe somebody will buy the dip here. Who knows? Maddie, thank you. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. We've got an hour left. You're right. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 7 
708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something here. Hey, we're back. I've digging through four articles here, Maddie, trying to find out what the CARES Act, the PPP, and the Employee Retention Act, and how they all uh, faded my brain into thinking it was second hour already. I mean, you guys, you covered a lot, so I, I, I guess you did two hours worth of talking in one hour. Well, I didn't, I didn't realize that uh, <laughs> Lou was involved with. Uh, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? This lawsuit. Yeah. What um, I. Uh, I don't know, John, if you were listening, but it's, it, it, there, there needs to be, well, this, this, I'm sure this is really bad law, but, uh, Matt, you've heard this before, but on the, on the trading floor, when they, when they thought, they gave up a list of all the things they didn't want people to do, right? And at the end of the list, they basically said, or anything else that would, what was the exact words, would interfere with the just and equitable principles of trade. 
So if there's anything we can't think of that was on here that's a bad bad idea, we're going to that you can't do that either, <laughs> even though we haven't thought of it yet. <laughs> and and it's, it's true though, man. People were prosecuted or in business conduct. They'd say, well, where's the rule against that? There doesn't have to be. Everybody knows if everybody did that, would the place would be would the, the place would be chaos? So you're guilty, <laughs> basically. <laughs> well, you know, you almost need like something like that. Yet that's really be bad law, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Well, I, I agree with what Lou is saying. That it was the overlay of union rules that have been tweaked and you know, you know, switched around to benefit various sides over you know long periods of negotiation that the, the airlines are locked into. And then you got stuff like you know lockdowns and vaccination mandates and everything else that has just completely screwed up the appetite for air travel. And the, the two are not really designed to work. You know, harmoniously when they're working, coming from such extreme ends, you know, we, you're, you're trying to, you know, control or, um, you know, kind of keep the, the employee end of it under strict observation. While, while you got, you know, all you're trying to do is get planes up in the air and not have to cancel them at the last minute and have disgruntled customers everywhere in the world. It's, but it's, it doesn't look like it's meshing very well at this point. Matty, do you have any idea? Uh, you fly more night these days. I, I don't know, was it never assumed you're going to ask out of yourself and everybody else? Uh, I, I just assumed that if, not that you would ever want to do it, that if somebody gets hired, if you hire Matty Weber as a pilot, he's going to be a co-pilot for a while. Someday he's going to, he's going to get enough hours, enough takeoff and landings that you're going to, you're going to be, you know, uh, you're going to be crowned a pilot and you're going to move over to the other seat. The thought never crossed my mind that in a pinch, if you, if they were willing to pay the same amount, and when a co-pilot gets sick, that you can't go back over to the other side, that somehow you forgot all of that. I, I, I never dreamed that you couldn't do that. Did you? No. I mean, I, I, mean, I guess I mean, you wouldn't normally want to do it because the co-pilot, I suspect, makes less than the pilot. But in, in, a, in a pinch, the thought that if you say, all right, hey, Joe, you, there's two pilots and not one a co-pilot, as long as I pay you the pilot's rate, what, he's going to say no? I mean, I, I, mean, I, never, I never even thought that was a consideration. And, That's uh, the downside of the union. Because you know what it does. You know, if, if you think you could just take somebody who's got a skill set that exceeds, you know, the co-pilots, and just put them into that slot, no. I mean, this is the work rules are such as you have to keep work available for the people who don't have you know, full pilot credentials. And if you're using pilots to fill those spots, well, we got trouble here. Here's a grievance coming down the pike. So, yeah. well, if you made the guy do it at the co-pilot's salary, I could see where he'd be pissed. Yeah, even uh, even if in full service, I think it's looking at union trouble. Well, yeah, it's I like, mean, like paying, paying a non-union person to do you know a union job. But, but you never know. It's pretty much the same thing. You know, whenever you have these union negotiations, though, you never know who had the egregious idea in the first place—the company or the union—where you ended up with a quid pro quo on the other side. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, I mean, you never really know unless you were sitting there, right? Well, a lot of these are dreamed up at times when it seems like there's no clouds on the horizon that there will always be. You know, free travel. I mean, by that I mean that, that you won't be restricted in where you can fly or if you can fly at all, and that you won't have um, snafus like we've been seeing, where you know you got deliberate restrictions on qualifications to fly that have, that were never negotiated. You know, and probably should have been a long time ago, but it never were. About you know having vaccine status approved and everything else. None of this stuff really has has been taken into account. So you've got. You know, a system that is designed to come to a grinding halt. Well, you've had, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you've had a, a huge stream of, of wars 
that just gave you all kinds of pilots. I mean, my right. my That's uncle was a too. fighter pilot in World War Two, and I said, "How come you didn't become a pilot?" He goes, "United, they, they didn't want anybody from a fighter pilot. We were all we were all crazy jackies. They wanted uh, guys with multi-engine experience that you know were used to having a crew and." You know, they were, they, that's the guys they wanted. They didn't, they didn't, want, they didn't want some crazy fighter pilot. You know, and, uh, he said, we, didn't, we never even applied. And, uh, you know, Korea the same way and Vietnam same way. I mean, there was all kinds of, you know, people going back and forth in multi-engine engine planes to Vietnam and bombers and everything else. Those, I mean, there was a steady stream of those people. And now all of a sudden there sort of isn't, right? Thank God. Right. The, uh, the, uh, you know, it just, you just wonder why everything doesn't seem to be, I just I can't get over the financing of those places and that they they leverage everything. They the thought of buying a plane for cash never even and it wasn't that long ago that buying your stock back wasn't even legal. Now that's all you do with all your money. I mean, it, I, I, I don't I don't I just don't get it. But what I was what I was doing there, I was trying to get now those guys they were part of the CARES Act, right, Jan? Did they also get PPP and an employee retention act too, or? If you got one, you didn't get the other. I'm, I'm trying to figure I don't out where think they, they were exclusive. Um, although I could be wrong. But, yeah, I don't. Um, I mean, at, at our end, lead through on those. It's the smaller company. Well, not, not just the smaller companies, but the everybody. You know, even law firms and everybody you go through a whole list in Illinois. There's something. There's hundreds of thousand, like hundred some thousand firms got money on a PPP act. Now, the, now, nobody like the airlines weren't in the. There's not an airline in there. They were they're, they were covered by the CARES Act. They're, Again, we need somebody, I guess, to explain all this. And then the Employee Retention Act was something on top of both of those other ones, right? And uh, but it's you know it's massive amounts of money, and is some is all of it been spent or by by the government or not? Or did some people did the, did the amount of people that applied for this equal the amount that was there, or there money left? Or I think there's still supposed to be money left, isn't there? Yeah, but I mean, consider how it was spent, Tom, and and what. What problems we have now are kind of baked into the system now because of the way this money was spent. I mean, it's, it's kind of raised expectations in a way that maybe nobody quite foresaw. But the idea was, well, if things get really tight and it matters beyond our control, um, the government's going to step in and we, you know, we can sit back and let somebody else worry about the finance end of it. Well, We're Cal- going to make money no matter what. Well, California's sending out a $1,000 inflation check, right? Right. Maybe you're gonna try it's a terrible a, way to acculturate your population. Yeah. This is how we manage disasters. <laughs> Maybe you're going to try and get into California or like a one-bedroom for like a month to get your check. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't, it's, it's really difficult to even. But uh, we have to talk uh, this, this crypto stuff. It's reaching the, uh, the, the real wobbly spot here where, where one of the firms, the crypto uh, hedge fund, went under yesterday. And uh, somebody went out to talk about a Ponzi scheme. Somebody tried to borrow $57 million in a new Bitcoin to pay off the debts of an old Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, a new crypto. Uh, I, I is do, we, do you have confidence? I honestly do not have confidence in the Fed after watching the 2007 and 8 fiasco. What I, what I say to that means these people, there's all this money that was chasing all these mortgages to go back to 2008. And you have to ask yourself, where did the money come from? And the mortgages were six and a half percent, six, seven. It, that was the number, right, Manny and John? It wasn't. We're not talking twelve. So, the idea that that people were were dying to buy these things at six and a half percent, it's it's just not that. It's it's an okay investment. It's it's just okay. I I would you know if I had 
you know, a, a guy who was a client of mine who was, you know, 80 years old and was looking for fixed income, and, and I thought the mortgage stuff was good and was paying 6, 6.5%, would I put 15% of his fixed income money in mortgage stuff? Yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, you know, crazy to get there, like if it's a, you know, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a free ball game or something. I mean, I'm sorry, why, why was that? Well, the, the why was, is people were borrowing money in Japan at 2% and bringing it over here and, and, and they were doing the, the, the ARB. But now, when you do the ARB, there's two sides of the trade. If you, you, you can't just go to Japan and borrow money, borrow money, borrow one, uh, and, and, and turn around and, and turn it into dollars unless there's another side of that transaction. If you were to say, I want, I want to buy my dollars back, Ten years from now, the the interest differential is going to be in that forward contract. I don't want to get too technical on this because I think it might be over some people's heads. But there's a, every time if you want if you went and said like Maddie, if you, your your company probably does this stuff, if you say I want to, I want to buy some uh, British pounds, I need them in 2025. The forward price is going to have the implied difference of the interest rates between the the, the pound and the dollar if there is any. So if it's one percent a year, and you're going out five years, your 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 premium on the on the on the on the pounds five years from now is going to be five percent. So it's not a free lunch, unless you kind of leave that part of the trade out, which which is what people were doing. They were borrowing Japan, just bringing the money over here and investing in the now simple investors like me, my clients, and people. When I say simple, doesn't mean we're not good. We are good. Uh, it, it we have no way of seeing those flows. You know, maybe maybe Carl could tell us someplace buried in the in some document the Federal Reserve prints out. You, maybe you could find it, but I, I don't know how to do it. Somewhere, someplace, though, the Fed should have had their eyeball on that and saying, "Wait a minute, there were there were thirty five dollars of mortgage backed securities for every dollar of an actual mortgage." Now, somebody somewhere at that level, John, that we're paying and giving them every resource on earth. Somebody had to have noticed that and say, what, what, what the bleep? Right? And then figured out some way to mitigate it or something. Now, I think Elliot Spitzer noticed it. Yeah. And, you know, and and yeah. When he mentioned it, he was gone within days. Yeah. Uh, trumped up charge for, you know, entertaining prostitutes. But, you know, it, all, all the system you're describing with taking the money out of Japan and throwing it into the mortgage market, there's nothing wrong with that, theoretically, unless you have you know, a system here where you've got all these either non-existent mortgages or mortgages with little value or, or mortgages with grossly inflated value and the, and the appraisal industry and the oversight, you know, the, the underwriting for the loans and everything else just goes off the reservation and nobody is looking at it by design. Uh, then you've got a problem. I mean, there, in, a, in a healthy real estate market, if you have lots of money available and it's going into mortgages that actually have collateral backing them, there's no no real problem. Oh, right, so you, 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 you heat up the system too much, and then all of a sudden there's a readjustment or a crash or something in the, the housing values. But when you deliberately corrupt the process and make sure that a lot of these mortgages will never be able to be foreclosed. Right, but you gotta, you got you to separate your on-the-ground analysis that that the actual mortgage mortgage crisis was probably part of you know the the price is going up too much people couldn't afford it and by the way you could still get mortgages and all that kind of crap I'm, I'm with you on that but the 35 hours on top 
is what caused the financial crisis and almost cost mutual fund companies and stuff to go broke. That it, if we, we could have handled the first one. It would have been ugly. Right. But, but the second one had to do with this incredible leverage that was on top of the system, in my opinion. I, mean, I think you probably agree with me on that, that there's like two levels to this. One was, yeah, did, did, did all these mortgages, at, you know, 2% down on a house that just was up 50 grand. Is that a problem? Yeah. But it wouldn't have brought the whole system down. It just would have been a, a real estate crisis. Right. But it, it became the norm. Right. right. Or, or at least it became common enough where the, 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 the honest deals... You know, the, the mortgages that really had solid collateral behind them were lost in the shuffle and they were being outpaced. If you wanted to upgrade a mortgage and get eight, you know, unqualified borrowers, this happened to the house across the street from Oh, sure. Town. Eight people bought this house. I don't think any of them were really related to each other from what I've figured out, but they got some clown to give them a, a $450,000 mortgage on what, what must be the smallest bungalow in the city of Chicago. And, and, you know, within, you know, a year the thing was in default and in foreclosure. Well, you know, and, and the how the, you know, the, the, but only if you had a crooked appraisal process that gave some lender a piece of paper that said four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, then there was ton of a ton of that going around too. And and the appraisers have never really been I well, think, the, properly identified. What's the difference between then and now? I, I had a I had a friend back in those days. <clears throat> um, I don't hope she's still alive somewhere, but she lived way the hell on out on. Uh, the O's, uh, you know, the rest of the city did. If those that don't know Chicago on the north side, you can go really, really far west and still be in the city. I mean, you're way west of Oak Park, and you're still in the city. It's the she was on Orange or all the, into the P's, yeah, well, yeah, they're, they're, alphabetically. They're, yeah, I mean, you go to what the, the K's are, are the other side of Pulaski. Then there's the right. then the, there's L's, the L's, and then there's the M. Anyway, which way the hell out the there? Side of Central. Yeah, it was a very logical system to a point. <laughs> But she's in this nice neighborhood, and she goes, she goes, we just had this big black party, and everybody's sitting out there, and these are all frame, you know, kind of bungalows type of things. Nice homes, everything's taken care of nice. The average price went from like 200 to like 375. And she goes, everybody, in, and we're sitting there having a beer, and everybody goes, you know, I, can't, I could never afford my house today. And that, you know, that was the seeds of what you saw. But my, my, where I'm going with this is, do, are we trusting the Fed now to really know the danger with this crypto stuff and, and where the leverage is and who's, who's lent money to who on this stuff? We're, no, you wanna... and, you know, the, the, the lack of regulation, I mean, I would say the total absence of regulation or, well, or even, you know, a desire to talk about it or, well, or I'm not so, to mention some of the, some of the risks. Involved. I'm not so sure that the, that the, the regulation part and where I'm going with this is, I mean, the, the Fed's job really is, to be the banker of last resort, right? I mean, and, and and to do all the check processing and all the other stuff that they do, which is a massive job. But they really are, if if you know the uh, the, the Weber Flanagan Bank in uh, uh, where were you? Would you come from in Iowa, man? In, in that in that small town, if you went out to all the different farmers in that area, and for whatever reason there was this egregious hailstorm that took out every single one of your farmers and they couldn't pay you back and that bank went under the fed's job is to jump in and make sure that people are paid from other places right i mean it, they, right. It, it, that's what happened in 1907 yeah that's how we got the fed really well but i'm saying that 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 job that they have despite you know me bitching and moaning about their policy changes on money supply and things the fact is they do that job exceptionally well and and, and always have i mean whenever, whenever you cash a check 
well, they used to, used to get it back in the mail at the end of the month. That had it had to go through the Fed. They've they've done amazingly well on that kind of stuff. I mean, it, we we can't live without. It. But my point is on this: I'm not asking them to regulate the crypto stuff. I'm just asking them to be aware. I mean, do, do they know that if if this thing trades fifteen thousand today, and what's this big exchange, Manny, with the umpire thing, F, FTX or FTC? FTX. FTX. If they go under, is there a bank that's or bank or two that are wobbly that they got to be there immediately. I'm asking them to know. I'm not asking them to regulate. I'm just asking them to be aware. And now, you think they are or not? And I, you think someone is actually asking questions? Well, maybe there should be such an entity. Has anybody thought about how this could be set up? Can we use the Fed as a model? Can we get the Fed involved in it? Even um, there's, as far as I know, there hasn't been any drive for this, there doesn't seem to be any concern about it. And of course, that that's more worrying than just watching the, the day-to-day fluctuations in this stuff. The fact that, that nobody really has considered, you know, the outsized possibility that there's, there's some disaster that nobody is going to be able to absorb or to accommodate or, or prevent. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not asking them. I don't think, I think if somebody wants to try and develop a Bitcoin, they should be able to. And, and one of the reasons why people are doing it and people were swearing by it, is because the Fed was Fed and other Feds out there, I mean the European Central Bank and everybody else, was debasing fiat currency at such an incredible rate that some people feel, and, and not to mention the fact, they want it all electronic so nobody knows what anybody else is doing. They don't want any cash, and this is the direction they're heading. There's a lot of people, me included, that don't want to go there. And it, and, and it wouldn't surprise me that, that someplace, somewhere, there's a very legitimate alternative way of paying people. Yet, what that doesn't mean is once you start getting, but that's not what crypto did. Certainly, you know, certainly to Bitcoin, it became an artificial stock, basically. Yeah. And all of a sudden yeah. now that people are borrowing money against this and people borrowing on the other stuff. And I'm not, I'm not asking them to stop that. What I am asking them is, if a couple of them go under, what's the ramifications for other people? You can't say that, oops, we missed in the, in the first national bank of God knows where is now out of business. And oh, by the way, they have they have currency transactions with Citigroup. And now Citigroup's in trouble. I mean, this whole thing is like dominoes. So that's that's kind of what their job is is not to is not to worry about the last crisis. It's to anticipate the next one. And that's right. And and are, and are they doing it? Is the how does anybody know? And does anybody ask the question? You know, in my darkest moments, I, I envision the Fed as being just just watching this like it's some kind of science experiment. Because they don't, they want to keep their nose out of it. They they don't want their name associated with it, but they want to see how this would play out in such a situation as we're seeing now. And it, maybe it's, they're just they they're doing field work in some ways. I, I think that they kind of have this attitude that at least they seem to. Um, this, there's nothing we want to get involved in here, or to, or to make any kind of commentary about, or or put out a white paper on, or anything that people can rely on and say, here's the way this is going to be. They're going to wait till a crisis happens, and then they're going to decide, well, how, here's how the Fed can come in and pick up the pieces, and we'll know how to do it better the next time. Uh, sometimes I wonder if they're just, like, waiting for something to happen, and they can be totally reactive, and they know it will be a distressed situation, and they can call the shots better than they can now when the thing has got its own steam underway. So that that's in my darkest moments. <laughs> well, I'll make a, a basketball analogy. Matty, I got to sit on the uh, Mesro tickets, long back in the day, I got to sit at the, on the two, not where the teams are, on the other side, the, l- the little uh, portal chairs, sitting right at midcourt with my buddy Larry here, and, uh, and the ref is coming by, in the first half, you know, they're, they're kind of walking through uh, 
you know, both teams are sort of walking through it as they do. It was a bitterly cold night in January. And uh, all of a sudden, the second half, things are eating up, and a couple guys really whack into each other. And I say to the ref, ah, it looks like things are picking up. He goes, yeah, it looks like i got to go to work. <laughs> right? And uh, he was a good guy. The ref, I was BS with him all night. And, uh, and he, but it's sort of like, I don't really care if everybody buys crypto, if somebody buys, you can buy whatever you want. If, I mean, even MicroStrategy that spent, you know, billions of dollars on crypto. I mean, if, if they buy all that stuff out of money they have, knock yourself out. I mean, the Fed, I mean, other than taking a look at it once in a while, they have nothing to do. And all of a sudden, you find out that people are finding a way to borrow against it. That's when your ears pick up, just like that referee. Wait a minute, now, now i got to go to work. i got to find out where this, where this money's coming from and, and who's in trouble if this thing collapses. And I, I hope there's somebody there who can, who can, you know, chapter and verse. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I've met some really intelligent people from the Fed. It wouldn't, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they have a, an economist or two that are following this really closely. Now, the question is, or even listen to those guys, or even know who they are, you know, up top. It doesn't seem like they're very concerned about what else could come down along with, you know, a crypto crash, and what what other entities it will take out. You know, the, the, the ones that are in it just because they've got loans against it. Um, maybe they don't think this is you know, something they have to worry about. But I would think a, a, a federal bank like the Fed should be concerned about the long term effect of this if it's not. Paid more attention to, or if there isn't some kind of fallback in the event event A B C happens, because nobody seems to want to talk about what could happen. Well, nobody maybe, seems to be worried about what it would look like afterwards. Well, but clearly, there's going to be some pressure point we reach where somebody's got to write this into some kind of a system that works in a way that, that actually sets forth what we've got here and how this relates to other financial markets and how it relates to the Fed. And I don't, I don't see anybody willing to take that initiative at well, all. Manny, you guys. Uh Without talking out of school here, Matty has actually a real job at a, at a big. He has a big job at a big place. I've I've heard and I've read that in some of these smaller countries around the world, uh, that the cryptos are are they using those more than their currency. Well, El, El Salvador, it's, I think Bitcoin is its official currency. Isn't it? Well, I man. So, so Matty, what happens if somebody? I'll just use American Express as an example. Does that mean that they're that they're if I go to El Salvador with my with my American Express card, that I'm I'm charging something on Bitcoin. Bitcoin how, yeah. how does it, or how does that even mean if if that's happening in some of these places? How does that no work? No idea. You guys well, don't know anything about it. You know, it's certainly changing on an hourly basis, just like the, the dollar is, or you know, the peso, or anything else. But uh, you know, it, it's, it's it's theoretically, I think that's how it happens. I mean, I think stuff is denominated according to the, the value of Bitcoin at any given moment. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if, if American It'd Express... It has to be just like any other currency, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I yeah. I don't know how that could all of a sudden become somebody's official currency, but, oh boy, I just... Uh, well, I mean, how, they, they must... <laughs> We've had stranger currencies. <laughs> well, look at the thing in Venezuela. I mean, uh, how, how, how do people walk through the... How do you even get on a bus? Their, their currency hasn't been a currency now for, what, five years? <laughs> but how do you, I mean, how do you even... Everything is a barter? I mean, uh, I wish I knew... I'm going to start reading The Economist again, although... If ever you want to get yourself, do you ever, you ever, you ever get that? Ever see that book, Matty? It comes out. Is it, is the it's magazine. Still, yeah, well, it's a magazine because it's well, it's not a hardcover. But every month, is it every month or quarter? I think comes out, Jen. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the big magazine. I'm talking about the, the pamphlet that's like a couple hundred pages long, where they give you they give you a summary of what's going on in like every single country in the world. If you if you want to read it, I mean, it's like, ugh. but I mean, if you ever want to. I, I actually was a uh, when I got out of school. I actually subscribed to it for a while, and I'm like, 
yeah, this is the world's worst reading I've ever. I mean, but <laughs> but it tells you it, it would tell you what's going on in El Salvador and their currency and stuff in Venezuela. I mean, I suppose I should if they're still around, grab one of them so I can bore everybody on the show one day about what's going on in, in Venezuela. Well, you would think when something like that happens, where this this becomes a currency for all, for lack of a better term. It's such that you know a local economy, some sovereign state can be tied to it. That we we have kind of reached a point at which this deserves closer scrutiny. Well, yeah, you would think. SP futures only down forty now, and as if futures down one twenty five, you're right back, stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen, Mr. Brent Weber on the board. Uh, we have Walgreens. Uh, the uh, sales beat expectation is retail growth offset steep drop in COVID vaccinations. Man, even the stock's trading uh, down a little bit. It's down, uh, WBA is down 92 cents, 39.95, so not, not too bad, but they're down a little bit. Uh, we have SP Futures down 44, NASDAQ Futures down 144, actually better than it was uh, an hour ago. And we have uh, Dow Futures down 366, and they were down over 400 a while ago. So we're we're gaining on it a little bit. We're climbing out of the negative at least a little bit. Uh, DAX down 333, 2.6%. Big move there. FTSE down 143, that's 2%. Tech around down 140, 2.3. So Europe, uh, Europe's looking bad this morning. Over in Asia, we've got a mixed bag, actually. Nikkei down 411, 1.5%. Shanghai up 37, it's 1.1%. Uh, China, the uh, 
the uh, factory activity grew in June, uh, so they're actually up. But Hang Seng's down 137.6%. Uh, yesterday, we had a Dow up 82. We had S&P down 2, NASDAQ down 3. So a very, very boring inside day yesterday. Although, the NASDAQ futures probably flew 80 points plus and minus the flat line six or seven times yesterday, just on any kind of perceived piece of news it races one way and then all of a sudden nothing races the other way so kind of a nervous but nothing day yesterday uh bonds uh we're down to we're down to 302 here in a 10 year after we almost got to four so we're down to we're down seven basis points today the fed i think is pouring money in this month we will see uh the bund uh, minus 13 basis points 1.37 uh japanese yen uh, there will japanese 10 year uh, stuck on 2.23 Oil down a buck twenty nine, one oh eight forty nine, Brent down ninety one cents, one fifteen thirty five, natural gas down thirteen cents, six thirty six, Arbob down thirteen cents, three sixty nine. So we should see these gas prices starting to come down. Uh they have a little bit, but uh they need to come down more. Uh gold down thirteen bucks, eighteen oh three in danger of going below eighteen hundred uh Nobody likes anything here. Everybody's selling everything. Silver down thirty nine cents, twenty thirty four. Copper down eight cents, three sixty nine. And this might be the danger here. Uh, crypto trading. Uh, Bitcoin nineteen thousand two hundred nine down uh, nine one seven. That's four and a half percent. These thousand dollar moves now are becoming big percentage moves here, and uh, uh, pressure and all these firms that are have any kind of borrowing. This is going to be the story of the day, probably. Maybe we get for us traffic weather sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. Those earlier crashes on the Stevenson are all clear. We had a crash on both sides of the Stevenson uh, down near Lamont in that area. But those are all clear, but we are seeing a lot of congestion on I-55 in both directions. So give yourself plenty of time if you're heading in that direction. Off uh, I-55, we have a disabled vehicle on the Tri-State, I-294. Northbound side right at LaGrange Road, there's a disabled vehicle blocking the left lane that's causing a slowdown. And then uh, south of there on I-80 eastbound at Ridgeland Avenue, uh, there is a crash that has I-80 backed up to, uh, it says 80th Avenue from Ridgeland. So uh, expect delays on the eastbound side of I-80 uh, as folks navigate around that crash as well. No issues coming in on the Ryan, I-57, or the Bishop Ford. We are seeing traffic starting to build up on the Eisenhower, Edens, and Kennedy, but no accidents to report. Only other crash in the area is out in Wheaton, uh, Geneva Road at Gary Avenue. There is a crash. Weather today, lots of sunshine, warm temperatures, a high of 92 in the city. Uh, could be upper 90s further inland. Right now it's clear and 75 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy with a high of 104 today. Right now it's clear and 89. In sports, Cubs beat the Reds 8-3 last night at Wrigley. White Sox lost to the Angels 4-1. Diamondbacks were shut out by the Padres 4-0. Chief. The, um, yeah, some of these individual stacks are, uh, is NVIDIA is down another two bucks. We got Tesla down, Microsoft down. So all those kinds of Apple down a buck 57. It's, it's pretty red across the way here. We've got the VIX up a dollar 27 to 29.42, threatening to go back over 30. Um, a VIX, at 30, the week before 4th of July, I don't know when I've ever seen that. I mean, this is, uh, this is pretty relentless, and I haven't really reported, John, for a little bit that you go out, you go out, you know, normally, well, normally, I mean, there's no such, every time's different, so when you say normally, it's kind of crazy, but when, when the volatility levels, the VIX levels are implied volatility, I'll be accurate, levels are this high in the near term, 
you would normally think that they would drop going out, and they're really not dropping going out very much. I mean, it's not like anybody has this huge idea that we're somewhat volatile here with, you know, S&P and the, and the NASDAQ futures flying back up and down every day and every other, every, between days, intraday and interday, to be accurate. I don't see anybody seeing it's going to end anytime soon, Jen. I mean, it's it's not like if you go out to January, the you know, the implied volatility in the, in the spiders is like a 15. I mean, it's not. It's kind of right where it is now. And I, it's like there's there's no end to this. Yeah, and it's kind of, I don't, know, I don't know, you know better when this really kind of developed this way, because this, this wasn't the pattern five, six years ago. Oh, God, no. And, you know, this, whatever has changed in the meantime, I think, is, you know, if, if people really have, in, in every way, have gotten used to volatility sort of spread out along, you know, along a long timeline in ways they never expected to, and, and we're kind of ill-equipped to adapt to. We're still doing it. You know, we, we haven't really gotten our sea legs in a lot of this stuff yet at all, let, let alone the stuff that's happening in local government and city, you know, crime and everything else. That people are still very much, like, you know, taking their blows and not, not seeing the end of it. And uh, everything just seems to be unsettled over the long span. And that, that's, that's hard for people. That takes a real toll. Well, you see it in people's behavior. You see it in, in just disrespect for just about everything. Uh, nobody believes anybody. I mean, uh, it's, I, don't, I don't know how you come back from all this. I don't, I don't see, how, I don't see how, who the one person would be that would say, you know, trust me, we're going to knock these, off, these problems off one at a time and, you know, come with me on this road. I, I don't. I don't. Know, I don't know who that would even be. I mean, I mean, a Roosevelt, a Kennedy, and they all they had their issues. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, there's, there doesn't seem to be anybody even in politics. I mean, there there are people I think that were smart enough. I thought you know Elliot uh, Spitzer was smart enough to actually do the job, but he managed to self destruct. Wait, and he should have known that you know, with his reputation, he had to keep his nose clean, and he didn't. You know, so I mean, he didn't. So there's one guy that fell out. Uh, I actually thought Gary Hart had a brain on his shoulders, but he, he again, <laughs> you know, couldn't, couldn't, uh, behave himself when he knew, knows, no, once you start pointing fingers at people, they're gonna be watching everything you do. I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get around that, you know, I mean, uh, The irony of that too, Tom, is, you know, the, the Gary Hart situation with, you know, the woman in the yacht, the, the photograph that kind of killed his candidacy, that was all engineered by Lee Atwater. The whole thing, there was absolutely no evidence of any relationship between Hart and that woman at all. But at that point, it didn't matter because if you can plant this woman on his knee and snap a picture, um, it's all you need to do. And I would say the same thing pretty much happened with Elliot Spitzer. I mean, they were they were looking for something to get him on, but they really wanted him gone because he was spilling the beans about the looming financial crisis. And whatever really happened there, whatever decisions he made that were poor or where he is reckless, I would lay it more at the doorstep of people who were pulling strings for just such a thing to happen. Because it, it came out late, years later, after Lee Atwater's death, that that was completely engineered, totally, you know, a smear campaign against Hart with, with no basis in fact. But, you know, Atwater agonized about it, but he never came clean about it and, and until people came clean about it after his death. But there's a lot of that, too, these days. And the crassness, you know, the people, you can see it in the, in the turnout in Tuesday's election. You would think in, in, in times where people are so put upon and every corner of their lives has been turned upside down that they would be looking for political solutions or hearing somebody singing their song and get out and voting for them. And, you know, a 20% turnout rate in, in a time of crisis like this, 
think that people have given up on the, the political solutions. Well, not a good thing. it's never going to happen to Matty Weber or me having the the wrong lady sitting on your lap on a yacht. We don't have a yacht. <laughs> it couldn't happen right to us. Man. Yeah, we don't. We don't have a yacht, so we're we're safe. You know, you, <laughs> you know, the, uh, Elliot Spitzer was one of the most hated. It, there's a, there's an ad. I don't know, there's, there's an oddity in in how people treat each other. I mean, there's a lot of oddities, but uh, one of the things is if, if, and you could see this on the trading floor, everybody was pretty independent. They didn't like anybody who, who, who uh, shall we say, stretched the rules. But but if you were the guy who, who who basically ratted on the guy who stretched the rules, they hated you even worse. It was, it was kind of a weird phenomenon. You wanted somebody to do something to him, but the person... Who called him out and made it happen? You hated him even worse, right? And I, and I don't know what what the psychology of that is. We need our buddy Doctor Blade to tell me about that. But Elliot Spitzer, his first thing he did, he was what was his first job? He he, he went after the specialists on a New York floor. Who who? And I, a lot of those specialists never 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 followed a rule in their lifetime. Any anybody on the New York or our floor? For those that don't, I say our floor, the CBOE floor. For mo- for most, what people do when you're when you're a derivative trader, the you know the value of an option is derived from the value of the stock, hence the name derivative. So if somebody comes in and buys a bunch of calls from you, you're not you're not a speculator on the stuff. You don't just say, well, you're not like a bookie where if somebody bet- bets on the Bears, you say, okay, I'm for the other team, I'm holding the bet. You don't do that. You turn around and you and you lay it off with stock, essentially to lay it off. So the people on the mo- I mean, a big percentage of the stock traded every day in the New York Stock Exchange floor came from market makers on the CBOE and the MX and the PP Coast. I mean, there were guys who traded you know thousands and thousands, hundred thousand shares of stock a day, just just by you know somebody comes in and buys buy a bunch of calls, you buy a bunch of stock. The next guy comes in, sells a bunch of calls, you buy the calls back, and then you sell your stock out. I mean, that, that's what you did, right? So nobody had a clue. Nobody knew better. Which specialists were were thieves, and which ones were really good good specialists in terms of rules and stuff? Better than the people on the CBOE. You could have interviewed anybody down here if you were in, in regulation. You would have found out who the crooks were way more than you ever could have by actually watching the regulatory people try and figure it out. Well, Elliot Spitzer figured out because he was a really bright guy. I mean, he was the Roosevelt. He was a trader to his class. He found out, figured out these guys on New York Stock Exchange that were backed by a lot of the big firms. That some of these guys are crooks. New York Stock Exchange—they're not going after them because they were already old boys. They've been there forever. So Elliot Spitzer went after some of them. The people in our industry hated him because he actually would go after somebody in the industry. And one of this is another phenomenon of you're in a regulated industry. To a certain extent, the regulator protects you from the Justice Department. I mean, if, if you went in and, and and did ten times, if you uh, went in were to spread, say. And you said, okay, it's a mar- you know, it's your customer. Oh, you got to pay a half. And you go in there and you say, uh, what's the market on the spread? And everybody goes quarter three eighths. Can I fill it three eighths? N- yes, but you want. But this is going to trade a half. We want half of it. We'll give you guys the other half. Well, you know what? That's a felony. But if you have a regulator, if you get caught, which you probably won't, if you're big enough, they're never going to come after you. If you get caught, it'll be a a 50 cent fine without admitting or denying everything. But if you didn't have a regulator and that goes to court, you're in jail. Right. So, right. I mean, uh, 
Anyway, but that's absolutely right. That's just the way to put it. I mean, yeah, the regulators are, they kind of hold you to a standard that, in the long run, will keep you able to function in that industry. You, you'll be reprimanded when you should be reprimanded, maybe, maybe. but you won't be ex- extinguished or deplatformed. De- well, I mean, if, if you're if you're big enough, they don't even come after you, or right. they or they do, you know, fifty little fifty dollar fines a year for, you know, some huge firm, and they don't even care. But but what they actually did, to Elliot's, but now Elliot Spitzer came from a really wealthy family, right? So, I don't know if you remember the story, man, but he, and I was I was at the, you know, imagine me, after after a hard workout, I was at the bar in Buckingham one night when he got pinched, and everybody in there was ecstatic. And I said, okay, uh, do you guys know how he got pinched? Well, no, we don't know he got pinched. I said, well, what happened was, he, he was taking money out to essentially pay the hookers, right, out of his bank account. So somebody noticed that some money, cash was being withdrawn from his bank account. They allegedly said, he's the governor, he must be being extorted. Took that to a judge and got a permit to do a wiretap. It's before, you know, before kind of everybody was on cell phones. So they, they tapped his phone. And that's how they found out about the hooker and, her, and bringing her from New Jersey to New York or whatever to do whatever it was they were doing. That's how they found out about it, by this wiretap that was allegedly put there to protect him. So I said to these three guys up on the, at the bar, I go, I said, you guys are basically, you know, big swinging bleeps. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're big, you know. It's back when we had money from the floor. And I said, now, say a guy like you, wife wants to paint the house, you don't have any problem paying the, the painter eight grand in cash, do you? Ah, hell no. Now, you're going to Vegas, a guy like you, you're bringing like eight or nine grand, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you go out and buy a car, kid needs a car, five grand, you whip it out of your pocket, here's a bunch of Benjamins, you buy the car, right? Yeah. Right, so what if I didn't like you, and I went to your bank and said, "Wow, there's twenty some grand taken out in cash." I think he, I, this guy must be being, uh, um, what do you call it? the? Uh, you have to pay people money to keep your mouth shut. It must be being extorted or something. And I put a wiretap on you. Oh man, you can't do that. Well, that's what they did to him. How would you like if they did it to you? Well, they couldn't do it to me. Well, why not? <laughs> they just did it to him. I mean, so I mean, the whole the whole thing was. I mean, I don't like the idea of him taking girls across state lines. He should have kept his nose clean, but they they went after him like they wouldn't go after anybody, John. It's right, and they did it not because of that. I mean, that was that was something that resonated with the public, and they knew they could bring him down over that. But again, it was it was because he had blown the whistle on the stuff that they didn't want anybody looking at until everybody who could got out and got their money and left everybody else hanging. Yeah. <laughs> now, and look what we got through now, Tom. Now we have the president covering Hunter Biden's Hooker bills, and nobody seems to complain. Well, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> I, just, I would just assume it was. I guess uh, Elliot Spitzer is now some adjunct professor somewhere in the community college in you know the New York metro area. But he's laughing today. You know what he did compared to what's, what now is just the norm. It seems. Well, if I if I get trouble with hooker bills, I would expect you and Manny to help me out, wouldn't you? <laughs> of course, Manny. But, but if you were president, Tom, I might tell you. Take a step back here. We'd have to make Thomas be the bag man. I wouldn't expect you guys to actually walk up with the cash. I'd, I'd get you hooked up with some Bitcoin, so you, it'd be untraceable for you. <laughs> untraceable. Untraceable, untraceable right? and worthless. <laughs> oh, it's still worth 19000 a coin. It's still worth 19000 a coin. <laughs> That'd be a pretty expensive hooker if that was 19000 wasn't enough. Remember the, remember the story, God, we were, we were just uh, starting the show and we were in like a little bit of a recession. Isn't there? I, the guy might be dead by now, but... It wasn't the guy who used to keep, keep track of the uh, 
of uh, differences in the economy by the price of uh, high class hookers versus low class. Yeah, I can't remember. He he published a newsletter. Yeah, he published a newsletter. <laughs> and it, it, it didn't didn't we have it one day, Manny, where the, the price of the high class hookers had gone up like thirty percent in the last year, and the price of low class had gone down twenty five percent or something. Low class hooker. I mean, what a horrible thing to say, but let's, let's just say the. the what do you call them? the the high class call girls versus the streetwalkers or something? Sure. Actually, I've not even seen it. When was the last time you saw a streetwalker? I haven't seen one in ages. Used to see them once in a while. In Vegas, they're still there. Here, yeah, I f- you don't see them as often, or at least maybe they're not in the places we frequent. Well, when Doctor J and I were doing the show from five to six on the score, we drive by them every morning on North Avenue. It was, and some mornings it'd be like so hot and. Every- Hey, can you guys give us a break? No, no, Daniel, no, we're going to work. Yeah, sure you are, you two idiots. <laughs> they, they didn't believe us. <laughs> but uh, they, they, they would, you know, you had the windows open. They would engage and talk to everybody. It was, uh, I talk about, uh, well, wow, well, I'm, glad to, I'm glad we don't see that anymore. But uh, So, John, what, if, this is a, not that the other questions haven't been serious. You two gentlemen, now, if, if you're going to fight, let's assume for a second, we've got all this inflation going, and the Fed is going to, Fight it in one way or another. I mean, they're going to have to at some point, even if they push it to after the election, which I think they're doing. But at some point, they're going to have to do something. Uh, I mean, they're not going to sit here with 10 percent inflation and and you know one and a half percent interest rates. I mean, they could talk all they want about it, but that's not much of a fight. My question to you guys is: if if you were all of a sudden put in charge, or we were a three-headed monster, would you just stop or slow the money supply growth down to what I would consider to be normal? One and a half, two percent a year. Say so you're not going to really fight the prices that are f- from where they are. You're just going to stop the rate from going as high as it has been going forward. That from now on, you know, you're going to have a few months while this all runs through, maybe even a year. But after that, we're going to be back to our two percent a year because we're only going to raise the money supply two percent a year and do what they should have been doing all along. Or do you actually try? And do a Volcker thing where you do a deep dive and to pull money out of the system, try to force prices back down. Which would you do? Because there, there's a definite decision there. Even if even if you'd plan on fighting it, there's two ways to fight it. Which would you guys do? Matt, you first. Which did I do? What did I what, do? Would you would you just try and fight inflation by stopping the rate going up right now, or would you actively try and drop some prices back down from where they are now? Is a big difference in how you do that yeah I, I don't know the right answer i've i've read some people saying that a pause whatever that means um and 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 you know accompanied by improving consumer sentiment would potentially reverse course and and stop a recession but that's that's just sort of like fed speak i don't know if that's real or not well it, it's it comes down to math speak yeah do, do you stop the rate of inflation going up or do you try and get back to where we were eight months ago or something in other words, are you going to leave the price of cars at at forty five grand, or are you going to try and pull enough money out of the system where they wither their way back down to thirty five? It's, yeah. it's a huge difference in policy, and you know, I I don't know the way to go. I honestly don't. I mean, as much as I I think this is my this is my area of expertise, I think I think you'd make it just as bad by driving it back down. It'd be just as even on the down way as it would on the up way. But then again, do you honestly think that? Anybody's over the next ten years, if you just stop the growth right now, that anybody's salary is going to work its way up to the. We'll never get there. We'll never get there. So I don't know. 
I honestly don't know what to do. That's why I'm asking you guys. These are, these well, are, if, if, if I had my brother's time, I mean, it would, would require a brain transplant in the Biden administration, which I don't think is going to happen. But you, they'd ha- you first of all have to get off this kick. If it, we're going to extinguish the fossil fuel industry, as, as you and Lou were discussing earlier, and say that you know, what, in a time like this, we need to rethink that goal. It would be lovely if we could do this, but when you, we can't get stuff to market, if we can't get people to their jobs without bankrupting them, then clearly this is a dream that hasn't you know ripened enough yet to say this is we're ready for it. If if you could do that and say you know ramp up production, no restrictions, we don't care, pollute, we'll do what you can to get the gas tanks filled and get you know heating fuel for people who need it this winter and get the get the you know, trucks the full tanks and get everything to the grocery stores so people won't see disruptions or huge you know price increases just because they, they have to transport this stuff using fossil fuels none of this stuff had to happen this way but but either because of Pete Buttigieg or whoever's pulling his strings decided now is the time to do it, to embarrass and humiliate the fossil fuel industry when we're still totally dependent on it. And you wouldn't have to manipulate the money supply so much, well, that would certainly help. But if you took away that kind of chokehold on the economy, we wouldn't be in this. That would but, but, but when you got it all together now, you know, the one is unlikely to happen. I just don't see Biden backtracking and embarrassing everybody in his administration for having given such idiotic advice. Um, but those kind of bottlenecks... I don't think there's any manipulation you could do with the money supply. Well, Dan, those kind of bottlenecks... okay for people. Those kind of bottlenecks, no matter who you are or what party you are, you may, in fact, during your administration, your fault, somebody's fault, just happened. You're liable to get those kinds of bottlenecks. But they're... And I, I can't... You know, I, I, it's hard for me. I can't even educate... I mean, you guys are smart people. There, there, there's a massive difference between a bottleneck inflation piece, an Arab oil embargo, two refineries going down, whatever it is. There's a massive difference between that and, and dealing with the symptom than there is between an overall uh, growth of money that just debases everything else in the society. And, and that, that has been going... What, what it translates into is if the government... Republican or Democrat, because they've all done it, if they decide they're going to spend more, the minute they decide to not tax for it or borrow it and print it, you've got a problem. Now the question is, how big of a problem? And it's this has been going since 68, really. And it's the first one was, and this, the second one has been going since, really, since Bush put the, the war on, on a credit card. I mean, every one of the last presidents has doubled the national debt by just pouring money into the system instead of taxing for it or borrowing it. So well, and it, what you're saying, and I agree with this too, is that they, both of these alternatives re- would require brain transplants. Well, the one to get us off of this spending without taxing to make up for it, that's a deeply ingrained thing that is less likely to go away. So you know, and it, 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 philosophically, you could turn on a dime and say we're going in the opposite direction, but it would, it would take generations to, to get off of this. And in the meantime, to be all sorts of emergencies we'd be coping with, where we'd have to revert to this, you know, helicopter money kind of stuff to get us. Well, what it, would, what, it would, what it would take is next time Powell's in Congress, and who's ever berating him, Democrat or Republican, and not that he doesn't deserve a little bit of berating, for him to say, you know what, I've had it with this. You're, you're just you've got a bill in the works now, and 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 it's, it's a trillion dollars. 
buddy, you better be willing to tax for a, tr- a trillion dollars because I'm not helping you a nickel. And see, that, that, talk about a fart in church. I mean, I'm not giving you a dime. You know, I don't, I don't see how that, that, that's really what it would take, right? Yeah, yeah. No, but you see uh, that ever coming down I don't, like, I don't. Is George Washington still alive? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln? Can, can we clone them somehow? No. But I don't, how could you expect Powell to do that? Or me or you? I mean, I, well, you'd, have, you'd have to be a real, a real a guy with two big ones to do that. Bigger than anybody, you know, we're listening to today, I'll tell you. Oh, God, yes. And bigger than I got. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in that spot. John, thank you very much. Now, we'll be back tomorrow with Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. 